shout out to our worship team. They're doing such a wonderful job. Today we're going to talk about we're going to talk about evangelism. This morning, this afternoon, whatever time it happens to be. And I've been studying quite a few scriptures on the subject of sharing the good news. And I just want to share with you this morning some of the lessons I believe God wants us to learn as we reach out to a lost world. Lessons that we can learn through evangelism. So we're going to jump right into it. Uh, number one, through evangelism, we see God's plan. We see God's plan for saving all mankind. In Matthew 28, verse 18, we know the scripture very well. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. No one wants souls to be saved more than God. It's on God's heart every second that souls be saved, that people be delivered from darkness to light. God wants all men to be saved. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2 that we're to pray for kings and, and those in authority and we need to ask God to open doors that more and more people can be saved because our God wants every soul, all seven billion, to be saved. God doesn't want one solitary soul to miss heaven. He wants you, he wants me, he wants all of your family Everybody in your neighborhood, everybody in, in New York, New Jersey, all over the world, God wants them saved. Jesus said in Matthew 18 that it is his desire that not one of these little ones should be lost. Not one. There, that is the heart of God. There is nothing more valuable to God than a soul. The angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. There's no mission greater than saving souls, than bringing people into a relationship with God. So what's the plan? God tells us here, and we see it clearly in Matthew 28, that we're to go and make disciples. God, for some reason, has decided to work through us with all of our flaws and inadequacies to use us to save a lost world. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, Peter tells us through the Holy Spirit, he says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And because we've received mercy and we've been brought into, brought into a relationship with God, 
We're therefore motivated and inspired to share that same good news with others. Church, we are God's plan. You're the plan. Could God have done it some other way? Maybe so, but that's not what he decided to do. He wants us to share in his glory. He wants us to share in the joys of seeing souls won. He also wants us to learn more about his nature and who he is through evangelism. You know, I was watching a television show, Chicago Fire, one of my favorite shows, Chicago Fire. And on this show, a young man was given an interview uh, of, of the different firemen in the firehouse. And he was asking them, why do you do this job? Why did you choose this job? And they gave all these great answers. And one of them said, this is the greatest job in the world because we get to help people. And I thought about that for a minute. Being a fireman is a great job. But it's not the greatest mission in the world. And we do need people to, to do all of what they do, whether it's doctors, lawyers, firemen, policemen, whatever. But the greatest purpose in life is to give glory to God in all that you do. And the greatest mission in life is to help people who don't know God come to a relationship with God. There's no greater purpose or mission than that. And God has said, I have a plan and it will work. But you know what? We have to go. The plan only works if we go. Brothers and sisters, we're having a worldwide impact. You saw the video a minute ago. I got to visit Lagos, Nigeria in February. And I saw how God's plan to send people like you and me out to share the good news works. We have over 1,700 disciples there in the church in Lagos. In 1986, the New York church sent people over to Africa to be a part of Africa missions. In these past 30 years, 98 churches now reside in Africa because of that work. There are, there are 12,590 disciples who are part of our fellowship there in Africa. In our entire fellowship, there are 20 churches with memberships of over 1,000. Four of those churches are in Africa. Abidjan, with over 2,000 members. Lagos, as I mentioned, almost 1,800. Nairobi, over 1,500 disciples. And Johannesburg, almost 1,200 disciples in the Lord. That happened because courageous disciples like Nietzsche and Daisy, Kevin and Andy Finnerty, Jim Brown went to places that they'd never been before to share their faith in places that they'd never seen before because they believed in God's plan. God planned, God's plan works. And now those brothers and sisters are playing an incredible role as, as leaders here in the New York church. I think by the Finnerty's going to Africa, Nairobi, I believe, is where they were. God used them 
trained them, and now Kevin serves as an elder here in the New York church. Nietzsche and Jim serve as evangelists here in the New York church. God uses evangelism to prepare us, to train us. We are God's instruments for the mission of evangelizing the world. We are his ambassadors. We are the people that, that, that are to go and share the good news. Isn't it an honor for God to choose you to be a part of his plan? To be a part of the most important mission on the face of the earth? That's God's plan. We learn so much through evangelism. Secondly, through evangelism, we see God's power. We see God's power. There is no greater testimony of the power of God than to see a life changed as a heart is melted by the cross of Christ and a person is convicted that they need to give their life to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul reminds the Corinthian churches of who they are and how God has worked through them despite their shortcomings. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26, Paul says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. They weren't anything significant. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God uses flawed, imperfect sinners like you and me to accomplish the greatest work on earth. His power is made perfect in weakness. And I know a lot of times we shrink back and we don't have the boldness that maybe we think that we should have. But God says, look, it's not about how eloquent you are. It's not if you're sharp enough or strong enough or impressive enough. It's all about you realizing that I've chosen you. I am with you. I will work through you. His power is made perfect through our weaknesses. Think about some of the people God has used throughout history. Sometimes you scratch your head. Samson doesn't make any sense. He had major dating problems, major issues with women, and yet God still used him. Jacob couldn't tell the truth to save his life. But God still used him. Peter denied the Lord not just once, but three times. And yet he was still given the keys to the kingdom. You know, you read it in the book of Hebrews, and you're reading all these great men and women of faith, and, and, you, and you get down to the end, and, and the Bible says, Rahab, the prostitute. And you go, excuse me? How'd she get in there? God through faith, used her. The Samaritan woman. How many husbands did the girl have? 
And yet the Lord still worked through her. Sometimes we look at what we don't have and God says, stop that. Look at me. I can work through you. I can use you. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, I can work through you. That's the faith that we have to have. God's power can work through us. Can God use you? Absolutely. But you must go. He can't use you if you just sit there saying, well, I'm just meditating and, and I'm just trying to get closer to the Lord and, and get deeper in thought. No, 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 no. You can do that for a time, but you got to go for God to work through you. God shows us as we study the Bible with people, his power to change lives. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 is not a popular scripture today. But I'm going to read it anyway. He says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But it doesn't stop there. He says, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of God. What is God saying? It doesn't matter what you were. My power can change your life. That's what God does as we share our faith. He takes people who were enslaved to sin, who had no hope, who had no idea that they could ever escape it. And God says, I'm going to resurrect you. I'm going to raise you to a new life. I'm going to fill you with my spirit and you're going to become an instrument that I work through. How many of us have seen God do that in our lives? Because many of us, we, fit, we were in this category. You know, this past... Sunday we had a brother share communion in, in the Bronx. His name's Jamal. And he stood up and he talked about how he spent five years in prison. And that through that time, God broke him. And he began to see his need for God. And he got up before the church, before almost 500 people, and shared boldly and confidently about how Jesus had rescued him and saved his life and that his past was behind him and now he was a new creation because of Jesus. You know, some of you guys, there were times when, when you were so frightened to speak in public. Now we are afraid to put you in before a group because you don't know how to shut up. And that's because you have deep convictions about what God has done for you. That's what happens when Jesus changes you. You know, I just read through this list of sins. The world wants us to lower and change the standard of God. You know why? Because they don't believe that people can change. That's the frustration. That's why people want to change the laws and, and, and change the outlook on this. And what God is saying is you don't have to change my laws because I can change your heart.
You don't have to be enslaved to sin anymore. We don't have to make excuses. We don't have to lower the standard. We're going to keep the standard high because we can see God's power change people's lives. It doesn't matter what sin you've been involved in. If you look to God, the Spirit of God can bring about a transformation in your life. That's what we've got to believe as we go out and share the good news with people. We've seen God's power. We've seen God's power to help us overcome addictions. I praise God for our chemical recovery ministry because they're showing us that you can overcome your addictions. I praise God that we have, we have brothers and sisters who are in purity groups because they believe in God's power to change their lives. We've seen God repair broken marriages. God can turn your marriage around. We learn these things as we go out and share our faith. We've seen God mend broken hearts. Go, because God can change any life by his power. We won't see those changes come about if we don't go. Through evangelism, we also see God's patience. I'm amazed at the patience of God. You know, sometimes people say the world is evil. Why hasn't God done something about it? Well, I say the world is evil, and I'm amazed that God hasn't yet brought this world to an end. That's the patience and the long-suffering of God. I praise God for his patience. We learn patience through evangelism. In Matthew 4, Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. You know, today, a number of us who are in the ministry are going to go off for a staff retreat up in the Adirondacks, and we've been doing it for many years. And brothers like James Warren and a few others, most times when we go up there, they go fishing. Now, we've had many meals in these years that we've gone up there, but we've never had a fish dinner because of their fishing. By the way, have they ever caught anything, I wonder? But you know, fishing takes patience. You throw that old rod out, that hook out there, you put a worm on it or whatever, and you, what do you do? You wait. And for them, they've waited and nothing's happened so far, but eventually, if you stay out there long enough, you're probably going to catch something. God is trying to teach us patience because he says you're fishers of men. And it wouldn't it be great if, if we could go out and, and, and tomorrow come back with everybody, whoever wanted to be saved, we could do it over, over one week or one day. It doesn't happen like that. It takes patience. God also says in the parable of the sower, says the farmer sows the word. Paul told Timothy, he says in, in first, 2 Timothy 2, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Here again. Farming takes patience. You plant a seed and you wait. You plant a lot of seeds and you wait and you wait and you wait. We don't like waiting. God is trying to teach us patience. You plant the seed and you keep on praying and you keep on planting and you keep on praying. Being patient is not always easy. I was in a grocery store line the other day. I got in the wrong line. 
Matter of fact, this woman in front of me, and I, and I had just studied the scripture, and I was praying, God, help me, because not only did it take her a long time to get her all of her stuff through, she said, I don't have enough money for all this stuff that I just bought. So she stopped putting stuff back. And I'm right behind her, and I'm just like, help me, Lord Jesus. I mean, she said, I only got this much money. I need you to give me enough. And she had all this stuff on the, on the, on the, on the counter there. And they had to open up a new line just to take care of her. But I learned God taught me patience in that situation. I was thinking if she was just a couple of dollars short, I would have helped her out. But she was $50 short, so I held back. I held back. But God is trying to teach us patience. We can't control when the fish will bite. We can't control when the crops will come. But we can plant seeds and share the good news, believing that God is working behind the scenes to move hearts. You never know what the seed will do unless you go and open your mouth and give it an opportunity. God is patient. We've got to be patient. This is what God does promise us. Isaiah 55 verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making its bud, making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Church, do you believe the scripture? Do you believe that God's word has that kind of power? And that God's promises are true? God says, I'm not asking you to decide who. I'm not asking you to decide how many. I'm just asking you to go. You can't bring the increase, I can bring the increase. But I want you to plant, and I want you to water. And I promise you, it will produce fruit. But you've got to be patient. God has amazing patience. You know, in 1 Timothy 1.15, when, when, when Paul is describing, he was Saul of Tarsus at one time, but when, when the apostle Paul is describing God's love for him, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But, that for, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who believe on him and receive eternal life. Unlimited patience? That's the kind of patience God has. Now here's the problem. God's patience does not run out. Our time on this planet does. God is patient. He's pa if you're not a Christian today, God has been patient with you. If you woke up this morning with the breath of life in you, it's because God has been patient with you. If you've been coming to church all these years and you haven't turned yourself into God yet, that's God's patience. That's not your good health. That's not your gym membership. That's not your medication. That is the patience of God. Now, here's the thing. Peter tells us God is patient. 
not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why is he patient? God wants everyone to come to repentance. God has been patient with you because he's given you time to come to repentance. God's been patient with all of us. And if you're not a disciple today, it's on you. Because what else can God do? He set you up. He got you here. He brought you here. He moved in ways that maybe you don't even realize. But he's been patient with all of us. Because he wants all men to be saved. Fourthly, through evangelism, we see God's persistence and perseverance. Not only is God patient, but I tell you what, he keeps on trying. The angels, the, the angelic host, the spirit of God, individuals, God works overtime to try to open our hearts to have a relationship with him. And I was studying the parable of the wedding banquet and I saw something in here that I hadn't seen before. In Matthew 22, it says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, says the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who've been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Now I used to look at this and said, you know how we go, we said the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding banquet and we try to compare how the kingdom of heaven is to a banquet. When really what it says is that the kingdom of heaven is like the king who prepared the wedding banquet. See, it's, it's, a, it's about God and his heart and his desire to have everyone come and see the glory of his son to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And so he's prepared heaven. He's prepared so much for us, and, and he's excited. I want everybody to come. But then some refuse to come. But what does he do? It's like, you know, when you get refused, I don't know about you, when people just say no, I go, okay. That's it. You had your chance. Look what God does. It says that he sent some more servants. Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my oxen and fattened cattle have been bushed and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went on. That's the second time. I mean, a lot of us, we don't even get past the first time. I invited them. They said, no, I'm done. But then God goes back. And he says, and he says that they, the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, killed them. The king was enraged. God's heart is broken when we say no. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And that should be the end of the parable. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to go. So go again? Are you kidding me? Three times? Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. 
So the servants went out to the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. That's what God wants in heaven. He wants heaven to be full. He wants everybody to be there. But what God does is he stays after us. A lot of us, we didn't come to church the first time we were invited. I know I didn't. Some of us, it, 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 it took months, weeks. But God does not give up on us. Luke 14, a parallel scripture said, Then the master told his servants, Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. You know what our struggle is? Our struggle, we give up too easily. We know what we should do. And here's what I want to leave you with today. Like God perseveres, like God is persistent, we need to be. Yes, we've been turned down. Yes, people said that they would show up and not show up. Has not happened to you? It's happened to me. We get wrong phone numbers. But don't give up. That's our problem. God blessed me with fruit. Bless me. God says, go. Well, I went. Go again. I went. Keep on going. That's what we've got to do. Galatians 6.9 says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time. We will reap a harvest if what? We do not give up. Tell somebody next to you, don't give up. Tell them again, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up on your neighbors. Don't give up on your co-workers. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on your children. Don't give up on your parents. Don't give up on yourself. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. We have to go. God is trying to teach us. Persevere. Hang in there. Keep sharing your faith. I'll lead you to somebody eventually. We learn. God has a plan. You're it. God wants to show us his power to see lives change. It will happen. God, our God, is patient. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. And God perseveres. Let's imitate God. Let's go and share the good news. And let's not stop sharing it until we meet him one day. And he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. God bless.